This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Stay calm with BunnySlippers.com. You know what will help? Retail therapy. Why not buy some Highland cow slippers from BunnySlippers.com? These woolly bulls will keep your feet feeling snug and, well, looking damn cool. I have to highly recommend them. Excuse the darn out there, you know. This is a family show, or at least this portion of The Feet is a Family Show. This is Black Clock Audio Tales, and I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. We're going to be going with the third book of the Oz series, second book to have Dorothy. And uh, you might recognize some of this. As if, uh, if you've watched Return to Oz, you'll recognize some elements of this movie. And just to let you know, we're going to have some other stuff going on this month. We're going to have some Dave's Underground Goat shenanigans. Of course, we have Articulate Warbling all the time. Zach and Laura are currently reviewing, I believe, It's a Quiet Place. So you can check that out if uh, you want to listen to some British people talk about A Quiet Place. You can always find out more about what's going on with PGTTCM by going to PGTTCM.com. Checking out our back catalog. You can go there to find out what's going on with Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, any of Dave's other corner of the podcast stuff, things I do with Ken Height, stuff that happens with Zach and Laura with Articulate Warbling, this show, of course, Black Clock Audio Tales. Find out what's going to be happening in the upcoming months, and of course... People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. The whole reason any of this even started. My show about the Cthulhu Mythos, where I generally have folks like David Heath or Ken Hyde or some other folk come on and talk about whatever it is we're talking about. And I believe we're talking about Envers and uh, some Clark Ashton Smith uh, this month in... Um, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And of course, this month, we're talking about Frank L. Baum. Is that it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're talking about him and the Oz stories. We don't have any people going, hey, I'll talk about the Oz. If you want to talk about Oz books, if you are an Oz expert, if you love Oz so much, if you want to be like, hey, can I talk to you about the differences between the books and the movies? Like, hey, sure, send me something. You know, uh, and how do you send me something? Go to pgttcm.com and go to the contact us and remember if you want to let people know about this show go to the interwebs uh rate review subscribe wherever you do and follow us on facebook and instagram black clock audio tales pgttcm here's some book three uh ozma of oz the giant with the hammer the road led for a time through a pretty farm country, and then past a picnic grove that was very inviting, but the procession continued to steadily advance until Billina cried in an abrupt and commanding manner. Wait! Wait! Ozma stopped her chariot so suddenly that the scarecrow's sawhorse nearly ran into it, and the ranks of the army tumbled over one another before they could come to a halt. Immediately the yellow hen struggled from Dorothy's arms and flew into a clump of bushes by the roadside. "'What's the matter?' called the tin woodman anxiously. "'Why, Belina wants to lay her egg, that's all,' said Dorothy. "'Lay her egg?' repeated the tin woodman in astonishment. "'Yes, she lays one every morning about this time, and it's quite fresh,' said the girl. 
But does your foolish old hen suppose that this entire cavalcade, which is bound on an important adventure, is going to stand still while she lays an egg? inquired the tin woodman earnestly. What else can we do? asked the girl. It's a habit of Billina's, and she can't break herself of it. Then she must hurry up, said the tin woodman impatiently. No, no, exclaimed the scarecrow. If she hurries, she may lay scrambled eggs. That's nonsense, said Dorothy. But Billina won't be long, I'm sure. So they stood and waited, although all were restless and anxious to proceed, and by and by the yellow hen came from the bushes, saying, What is she doing, singing her lay? asked the scarecrow. Forward! March! shouted the tin woodman, waving his axe, and the procession started just as Dorothy had once more grabbed Billina in her arms. "'Isn't anyone going to get my egg?' cried the hen in great excitement. "'I'll get it,' said the scarecrow, and at his command the sawhorse pranced into the bushes. The straw man soon found the egg, which he placed in his jacket pocket. The cavalcade, having moved rapidly on, was even then far in advance, but it did not take the sawhorse long to catch up with it, and presently the scarecrow was riding in his accustomed place behind Ozma's chariot. "'What shall I do with the egg?' he asked Dorothy. "'I don't know,' the girl answered. "'Perhaps the hungry tiger would like it.' "'It would not be enough to fill one of my back teeth,' remarked the tiger. A bushel of them, hard-boiled, might take a little of the edge off my appetite. But one egg isn't good for anything at all that I know of." "'No, it wouldn't even make a sponge-cake,' said the Scarecrow thoughtfully. The Tin Woodman might carry it with his axe and hatch it, but after all I may as well keep it myself for a souvenir." So he left it in his pocket. They had now reached that part of the valley that lay between the two high mountains which Dorothy had seen from her tower window. At the far end was the third great mountain which blocked the valley, and was the northern edge of the land of Ev. It was underneath this mountain that the Nome King's palace was said to be, but it would be some time before they reached that place. The path was becoming rocky and difficult for the wheels of the chariot to pass over, and presently a deep gulf appeared at their feet, which was too wide for them to leap. So Ozma took a small square of green cloth from her pocket and threw it upon the ground. At once it became the magic carpet and unrolled itself far enough for all the cavalcade to walk upon. The chariot now advanced, and the green carpet unrolled before it, crossing the gulf on a level with its banks, so that all passed over in safety. "'That's easy enough,' said the Scarecrow. "'I wonder what will happen next.' He was not long in making the discovery, for the sides of the mountain came closer together, until finally there was but a narrow path between them along with Ozma and her party, were forced to pass in single file. They now heard a low and deep thump, 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 which echoed throughout the valley, and seemed to grow louder as they advanced. Then turning a corner of rock, they saw before them a huge form which towered above the path for more than a hundred feet. 
The form was that of a gigantic man built out of plates of cast iron, and it stood with one foot on either side of the narrow road and swung over its right shoulder an immense iron mallet with which it constantly pounded the earth. These resounding blows explained the thumping sounds they had heard, for the mallet was much bigger than a barrel, and where it struck the path between the rocky sides of the mountain it filled all the space through which our travelers would be obliged to pass. Of course they at once halted, a safe distance away from the terrible iron mallet. The magic carpet would do them no good in this case, for it was only meant to protect them from any dangers upon the ground beneath their feet, and not from dangers that appeared in the air above them. "'Wow!' said the cowardly lion with a shudder. "'It makes me dreadfully nervous to see that big hammer pounding so near my head. One blow would crush me into a doormat.' "'The iron giant is a fine fellow,' said Tick-Tock, "'and works as steadily as a clock. He was made for the Gnome King by Smith and Tinker, who made me, and his duty is to keep folks from finding the underground palace. Is he not a great work of art?' "'Can he think and speak as you do?' asked Ozma, regarding the giant with wondering eyes. "'No,' replied the machine. "'He is only made to pound the road, and has no thinking or speaking attachment, but he pounds very well, I think.' "'Too well,' observed the Scarecrow. "'He is keeping us from going farther. Is there no way to stop his machinery?' Only the Gnome King, who has the key, can do that, answered Tick-Tock. Then, said Dorothy anxiously, what shall we do? Excuse me for a few minutes, said the Scarecrow, and I will think it over. He retired then to a position in the rear, where he turned his painted face to the rocks and began to think. Meanwhile the giant continued to raise his iron mallet high in the air and strike the path terrific blows that echoed through the mountains like the roar of a cannon. Each time the mallet lifted, however, there was a moment when the path beneath the monster was free, and perhaps the scarecrow had noticed this, for when he came back to the others he said, "'The matter is a very simple one, after all.' We have but to run under the hammer one at a time when it is lifted, and pass to the other side before it falls again. It will require quick work if we escape the blow, said the tin woodman with a shake of his head. But it really seems the only thing to be done. Who will make the first attempt? They looked at one another, hesitatingly for a moment. Then the cowardly lion, who was trembling like a leaf in the wind, said to them, I suppose the head of the procession must go first, and that's me. But I'm terribly afraid of the big hammer. What will become of me? asked Ozma. You might rush under the hammer yourself, but the chariot would surely be crushed. We must leave the chariot, said the scarecrow. But you two girls can ride upon the backs of the lion and the tiger. So this was decided upon, and Ozma as soon as the lion was unfastened from the chariot, at once mounted the beast's back, 
and said she was ready. "'Cling fast to his mane,' advised Dorothy. "'I used to ride him myself, and that's the way I held on.' So Ozma clung fast to the mane, and the lion crouched in the path, and eyed the swinging mallet carefully until he knew just the instant it would begin to rise in the air. Then, before anyone thought he was ready, he made a sudden leap straight between the iron giant's legs, and before the mallet struck the ground again, the lion and Ozma were safe on the other side. The tiger went next. Dorothy sat upon his back and locked her arms around his striped neck, for he had no mane to cling to. He made the leap straight and true as an arrow from a bow and ere Dorothy realized it she was out of danger and standing by Ozma's side. Now came the Scarecrow on the sawhorse, and while they made the dash in safety they were within a hair's breadth of being caught by the descending hammer. Tick-Tock walked up to the very edge of the spot the hammer struck, and as it was raised for the next blow he calmly stepped forward and escaped its descent. That was an idea for the Tin Woodman to follow, and he also crossed in safety while the great hammer was in the air, but when it came to the twenty-six officers and the private, their knees were so weak that they could not walk a step. "'In battle we are wonderfully courageous,' said one of the generals, "'and our foes find us very terrible to face. But war is one thing, and this is another.' When it comes to being pounded upon the head by an iron hammer and smashed into pancakes, we naturally object. Make a run for it, urged the scarecrow. Our knees shake so that we cannot run, answered a captain. If we should try it, we would all certainly be pounded to a jelly. Well, well, sighed the cowardly lion. I see, friend Tiger, that we must place ourselves in great danger to rescue this bold army. Come with me, and we will do the best we can." So Ozma and Dorothy, having already dismounted from their backs, the Lion and the Tiger leaped back again under the awful hammer and returned with two generals clinging to their necks. They repeated this daring passage twelve times when all the officers had been carried beneath the giant's legs and landed safely on the further side. By that time the beasts were very tired, and panted so hard that their tongues hung out of their great mouths. "'But what is to become of the private?' asked Ozma. "'Oh, leave him there to guard the chariot,' said the lion. "'I'm tired out and won't pass under that mallet again.' The officers at once protested that they must have the private with them, else there would be no one for them to command. But neither the lion or the tiger would go after him, and the scarecrow sent the sawhorse. Either the wooden horse was careless, or it failed to properly time the descent of the hammer, for the mighty weapon caught it squarely upon its head and thumped it against the ground so powerfully that the private flew off its back high into the air and landed upon one of the giant's cast-iron arms. Here he clung desperately while the arm rose and fell with each one of the rapid strokes. The scarecrow dashed in to rescue his sawhorse and had his left foot smashed by the hammer before he could pull the creature out of danger. 
They then found that the sawhorse had been badly dazed by the blow, for while the hard wooden knot of which his head was formed could not be crushed by the hammer, both his ears were broken off, and he would be unable to hear a sound until some new ones were made for him. Also his left knee was cracked, and had to be bound up with a string. Bellina, having fluttered under the hammer, it now remained only to rescue the private, who was riding upon the iron giant's arm high in the air. The scarecrow lay flat upon the ground, and called to the man to jump down upon his body, which was soft because it was stuffed with straw. This the private managed to do, waiting until a time when he was nearest the ground, and then letting himself drop upon the scarecrow. He accomplished the feat without breaking any bones, and the scarecrow declared he was not injured in the least. Therefore the tin woodman, having by this time fitted new ears to the sawhorse, the entire party proceeded upon its way, leaving the giant to pound the path behind them. End of chapter 10 The Gnome King by and by, when they drew near to the mountain that blocked their path, which was the furthermost edge of the kingdom of Ev, the way grew dark and gloomy for the reason that the high peaks on either side shut out the sunshine. And it was very silent, too, as there were no birds to sing or squirrels to chatter, the trees being left far behind them, and only the bare rocks remaining. Ozma and Dorothy were a little awed by the silence and all the others were quiet and grave except the sawhorse, which, as it trotted along with the scarecrow upon its back, hummed a queer song of which this was the chorus. Would a wooden horse in a woodland go? I, I, I sigh he would, although, had he not a wooden head, he'd mount the mountain top instead. But no one paid any attention to this, because they were now close to the Gnome King's dominions, and his splendid underground palace could not be very far away. Suddenly they heard a shout of jeering laughter, and stopped short. They would have to stop in a minute, anyway, for the huge mountain barred their further progress, and the path ran close up to a wall of rock, and ended. "'Who was that laughing?' asked Ozma. There was no reply, but in the gloom they could see strange forms flit across the face of the rock. Whatever the creations might be, they seemed very like the rock itself, for they were the color of rocks, and their shapes were as rough and rugged as if they had been broken away from the side of the mountain. They kept close to the steep cliff facing our friends, and glided up and down, and this way and that with a lack of regularity that was quite confusing, and they seemed not to need places to rest their feet, but clung to the surface of the rock as a fly does to a window-pane, and were never still for a moment. "'Do not mind them,' said Tik-Tok, as Dorothy shrank back. "'They are only the gnomes.' "'And what are gnomes?' asked the girl, half-frightened. They are rock fairies and serve the Gnome King, replied the machine. But they will do us no harm. You must call for the King, because without him you can never find the entrance to the palace. You call, 
said Dorothy to Ozma. Just then the gnomes laughed again, and the sound was so weird and disheartening that the twenty-six officers commanded the private to right about face, and they all started to run as fast as they could. The Tin Woodman at once pursued his army and cried, Halt! And when they had stopped their flight, he asked, Where are you going? I, I find I've forgotten the brush for my whiskers, said a general, trembling with fear. So we are going back after it. That is impossible, replied the Tin Woodman, for the giant with the hammer would kill you all if you tried to pass him. Oh, I'd forgotten the giant, said the general, turning pale. You seem to forget a good many things, remarked the Tin Woodman. I hope you won't forget that you are brave men. Never, cried the general, slapping his gold-embroidered chest. Never, cried all the other officers, indignantly slapping their chests. For my part, said the private, meekly, I must obey my officers, so when I am told to run, I run, and when I am told to fight, I fight. That is right, agreed the tin woodman, and now you must all come back to Ozma and obey her orders. And if you try to run away again, I will have her reduce all the twenty-six officers to privates, and make the private your general." This terrible threat so frightened them that they at once returned to where Ozma was standing beside the cowardly lion. Then Ozma cried out in a loud voice, "'I demand that the Gnome King appear to us!' There was no reply except that the shifting gnomes upon the mountain laughed in derision. "'You must not command the Gnome King,' said Tik-Tok, "'for you do not rule him as you do your own people.' So Ozma called again, saying, "'I request the Gnome King to appear to us.' Only the mocking laughter replied to her, and the shadowy gnomes continued to flit here and there upon the rocky cliff. Try entreaty, said Tik-Tok to Ozma. If he will not come at your request, then the Gnome King may listen to your pleading. Ozma looked around her proudly. Do you wish your ruler to plead with this wicked Gnome King? she asked. Shall Ozma of Oz humble herself to a creature who lives in an underground kingdom? No, they all shouted with big voices, and the scarecrow added, If he will not come, we will dig him out of his hole like a fox, and conquer his stubbornness. But our sweet little ruler must always maintain her dignity, just as I maintain mine. I'm not afraid to plead with him, said Dorothy. I'm only a little girl from Kansas, and we've got more dignity at home than we know what to do with. I'll call the Gnome King." "'Do,' said the hungry tiger, "'and if he makes hash of you, I'll willingly eat you for breakfast tomorrow morning.' So Dorothy stepped forward and said, "'Please, Mr. Gnome King, come here and see us.' The gnomes started to laugh again, but a low growl came from the mountain, and in a flash they had all vanished from sight and were silent. Then a door in the rock opened, and a voice cried, Enter! Isn't it a trick? asked the Tin Woodman. Never mind, replied Ozma, 
We came here to rescue the poor Queen of Ev and her ten children, and we must run some risks to do it. The Gnome King is honest and good-natured, said Tick-Tock. You can trust him to do what is right. So Ozma led the way hand in hand with Dorothy, and they passed through the arched doorway of rock and entered a long passage which was lighted by jewels set in the walls and having lamps behind them. There was no one to escort them or to show them the way, but all the party pressed through the passage until they came to a round, domed cavern that was grandly furnished. In the center of this room was a throne carved out of a solid boulder of rock, rude and rugged in shape, but glittering with great rubies and diamonds and emeralds on every part of its surface. And upon the throne sat the Gnome King. This important monarch of the underground world was a little fat man clothed in gray-brown garments that were the exact color of the rock throne in which he was seated. His bushy hair and flowing beard were also colored like the rocks, and so was his face. He wore no crown of any sort, and his only ornament was a broad, jewel-studded belt that circled his fat little body. As for his features, they seemed kindly and good-natured, and his eyes were turned merrily upon his visitors as Ozma and Dorothy stood before him, with their followers ranged in close order behind them. "'Why, he looks just like Santa Claus, only he isn't the same color,' whispered Dorothy to her friend. But the Gnome King heard the speech, and it made him laugh aloud. He had a red face and a round little belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly," quoth the monarch, in a pleasant voice, and they could all see that he really did shake like jelly when he laughed. Both Ozma and Dorothy were much relieved to find the Gnome King so jolly, and a minute later he waved his right hand, and the girls each found a cushioned stool at her side. "'Sit down, my dears,' said the King and tell me why you have come all this way to see me, and what can I do to make you happy?" When they seated themselves, the Gnome King picked up a pipe, and taking a glowing red coal out of his pocket, he placed it in the bowl of the pipe and began puffing out clouds of smoke that curled in rings above his head. Dorothy thought this made the little monarch look more like Santa Claus than ever. But Ozma now began speaking, and everyone listened intently to her words. "'Your Majesty,' said she, "'I am the ruler of the Land of Oz, and I have come here to ask you to release the good Queen of Ev and her ten children, whom you have enchanted and hold as your prisoners.' "'Oh, no, you are mistaken about that,' replied the King. "'They are not my prisoners, but my slaves, whom I purchased from the King of Ev.' But that was wrong," said Ozma. "'According to the laws of Ev, the king can do no wrong,' answered the monarch, eyeing a ring of smoke he had just blown from his mouth, so that he had a perfect right to sell his family to me in exchange for a long life." "'You cheated him, though,' declared Dorothy, for the king of Ev did not have a long life. He jumped into the sea and was drowned. "'That was not my fault,' said the Gnome King crossing his legs and smiling contentedly. I gave him the long life, all right, but he destroyed it. Then how could it be a long life? asked Dorothy. Easily enough, 
was the reply. Now suppose, my dear, that I gave you a pretty doll in exchange for a lock of your hair, and that after you had received the doll you smashed it into pieces and destroyed it. Could you say that I had not given you a pretty doll? No, answered Dorothy. And could you, in fairness, ask me to return to you the lock of hair, just because you had smashed the doll? No, said Dorothy again. Of course not, the Gnome King returned. Nor will I give up the Queen and her children, because the King of Ev destroyed his long life by jumping into the sea. They belong to me, and I shall keep them. But you are treating them cruelly, said Ozma who was much distressed by the king's refusal. "'In what way?' he asked. "'By making them your slaves,' said she. "'Cruelty,' remarked the monarch, puffing out wreaths of smoke and watching them float into the air, "'is a thing I can't abide. So, as slaves must work hard, and the queen of Ebb and her children were delicate and tender, I transformed them all into articles of ornament and bric-a-brac, and scatter them around the various rooms of my palace. Instead of being obliged to labor, they merely decorate my apartments, and I really think I have treated them with great kindness." "'But what a dreadful fate is theirs!' exclaimed Ozma earnestly. "'And the kingdom of Ev is in great need of its royal family to govern it. If you will liberate them and restore them to their proper forms, I will give you ten ornaments to replace each one you lose." The Gnome King looked grave. "'Suppose I refuse?' he asked. "'Then,' said Ozma firmly, "'I am here with my friends and my army to conquer your kingdom and oblige you to obey my wishes.' The Gnome King laughed until he choked, and he choked until he coughed and he coughed until his face turned from grayish-brown to bright red. And then he wiped his eyes with a rock-colored handkerchief and grew grave again. "'You are as brave as you are pretty, my dear,' he said to Ozma. "'But you have little idea of the extent of the task you have undertaken. Come with me for a moment.' He rose and took Ozma's hand, leading her to a little door at one side of the room. This he opened, and they stepped out upon a balcony, from whence they obtained a wonderful view of the underground world. A vast cave extended for miles and miles under the mountain, and in every direction were furnaces and forges glowing brightly, and gnomes hammering upon precious metals or polishing gleaming jewels. All around the walls of the cave were thousands of doors of silver and gold, built into the solid rock, and these extended and rose far away into the distance, as far as Ozma's eyes could follow them. While the little maid from Oz gazed wonderingly upon this scene, the Gnome King uttered a shrill whistle, and all at once the silver and gold doors flew open, and solid ranks of Gnome soldiers marched out from every one. So great were their numbers that they quickly filled the immense underground cavern, and forced the busy workmen to abandon their tasks. Although this tremendous army consisted of rock-colored gnomes, all squat and fat, they were clothed in glittering armor of polished steel, inlaid with beautiful gems. Upon his brow each wore a brilliant electric light, 
and they bore sharp spears and swords and battle-axes of solid bronze. It was evident they were perfectly trained, for they stood in straight rows, rank after rank, with their weapons held erect and true, as if awaiting but the word of command to level them upon their foes. "'This,' said the Gnome King, "'is but a small part of my army. No ruler upon earth has ever dared to fight me, and no ruler ever will, for I am too powerful to oppose.' He whistled again and at once the martial array filed through the silver and gold doorways and disappeared, after which the workmen again resumed their labors at the furnaces. Then, sad and discouraged, Ozma of Oz turned to her friends, and the Gnome King calmly reseated himself on his rock throne. "'It would be foolish for us to fight,' the girl said to the Tin Woodman, "'for our brave twenty-seven would be quickly destroyed.' I'm sure I do not know how to act in this emergency. Ask the king where his kitchen is, suggested the tiger. I'm hungry as a bear. I might pounce upon the king and tear him to pieces, remarked the cowardly lion. Try it, said the monarch, lighting his pipe with another hot coal which he took from his pocket. The lion crouched low and tried to spring upon the gnome king but he hopped only a little way into the air and came down again in the same place, not being able to approach the throne by even an inch. "'It seems to me,' said the Scarecrow thoughtfully, "'that our best plan is to wheedle His Majesty into giving up his slaves, since he is too great a magician to oppose.' "'That is the most sensible thing any of you have suggested,' declared the Gnome King. "'It is folly to threaten me.' but I am so kind-hearted that I cannot stand coaxing or wheedling. If you really wish to accomplish anything by your journey, my dear Ozma, you must coax me." "'Very well,' said Ozma more cheerfully. "'Let us be friends, and talk this over in a friendly manner.' "'To be sure,' agreed the king, his eyes twinkling merrily. I am very anxious, she continued, to liberate the Queen of Ev and her children, who are now ornaments and bric-a-brac in your majesty's palace, and to restore them to their people. Tell me, sir, how may this be accomplished? The king remained thoughtful for a moment, after which he asked, Are you willing to take a few chances and risks yourself in order to set free the people of Ev? Yes, indeed, answered Ozma eagerly. Then, said the Gnome King, I will make you this offer. You shall go alone and unattended into my palace, and examine carefully all that the rooms contain. Then you shall have permission to touch eleven different objects, pronouncing at the time the word Ev, and if any one of them, or more than one, proves to be the transformation of the Queen of Ev, or any of her ten children, then they will instantly be restored to their true forms, and may leave my palace and my kingdom in your company, without any objection whatever. It is possible for you in this way to free the entire eleven. But if you do not guess all the objects correctly, and some of the slaves remain transformed, then each one of your friends and followers may, in turn, into the palace and have the same privileges I grant you." "'Oh, thank you, thank you for this kind offer,' said Ozma eagerly. 
I make but one condition, added the Gnome King, his eyes twinkling. What is it? she inquired. If none of the eleven objects you touch proves to be the transformation of any of the royal family of Ev, then, instead of freeing them, you will yourself become enchanted and transformed into an article of bric-a-brac or an ornament. This is only fair and just, and is the risk you declared you were willing to take. End of chapter 11 The Eleven Guesses Hearing this condition imposed by the Gnome King, Ozma became silent and thoughtful, and all her friends looked at her uneasily. "'Don't do it!' exclaimed Dorothy. "'If you guess wrong, you will be enslaved yourself.' "'But I shall have eleven guesses,' answered Ozma. "'Surely I ought to guess one object in eleven correctly. And if I do, I shall rescue one of the royal family and be safe myself.' Then the rest of you may attempt it, and soon we shall free all those who are enslaved." "'What if we fail?' inquired the Scarecrow. "'I'd look nice as a piece of bric-a-brac, wouldn't I?' "'We must not fail,' cried Ozma courageously. Having come all this distance to free these poor people, it would be weak and cowardly in us to abandon the adventure. Therefore I will accept the Gnome King's offer and go at once into the royal palace. "'Come along, then, my dear,' said the king, climbing down from his throne with some difficulty, because he was so fat. "'I'll show you the way.' He approached a wall of the cave and waved his hand. Instantly an opening appeared, through which Ozma, after a smiling farewell to her friends, boldly passed. She found herself in a splendid hall that was more beautiful and grand than anything she had ever beheld. The ceilings were composed of great arches that rose far above her head, and the walls and floors were of polished marble, exquisitely tinted in many colors. Thick velvet carpets were on the floor, and heavy silken draperies covered the arches leading to the various rooms of the palace. The furniture was made of rare old woods, richly carved and covered with delicate satins, and the entire palace was lighted by a mysterious rosy glow that seemed to come from no particular place, but flooded each apartment with its soft and pleasing radiance. Ozma passed from one room to another, greatly delighted by all she saw. The lovely palace had no other occupant, for the Gnome King had left her at the entrance, which closed behind her, and in all the magnificent rooms there appeared to be no other person. Upon the mantels, and on many shelves and brackets and tables, were clustered ornaments of every description, seemingly made out of all sorts of metals, glass, china, stones, and marbles. There were vases and figures of men and animals and graven platters and bowls, and mosaics of precious gems, and many other things. Pictures, too, were on the walls, and the underground palace was quite a museum of rare and curious and costly objects. After her first hasty examination of the rooms, Ozma began to wonder which of all the numerous ornaments they contained were the transformations of the royal family of Ev. There was nothing to guide her, for everything seemed without a spark of life. 
So she must guess blindly, and for the first time the girl came to realize how dangerous was her task and how likely she was to lose her own freedom in striving to free others from the bondage of the Gnome King. No wonder the cunning monarch laughed good-naturedly with his visitors when he knew how easily they might be entrapped. But Ozma, having undertaken the venture, would not abandon it. She looked at a silver candelabra that had ten branches and thought, This may be the Queen of Ev and her ten children. So she touched it and uttered aloud the word Ev, as the Gnome King had instructed her to do when she guessed. But the candelabra remained as it was before. Then she wandered into another room and touched a china lamb, thinking it might be one of the children she sought. But again she was unsuccessful. Three guesses, four guesses, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten she made, and still not one of them was right. The girl shivered a little and grew pale even under the rosy light, for now but one guess remained and her own fate depended upon the result. She resolved not to be hasty, and strolled through all the rooms once more, gazing earnestly upon the various ornaments, and trying to decide which she would touch. Finally, in despair, she decided to leave it entirely to chance. She faced the doorway of a room, shut her eyes tightly, and then, thrusting aside the heavy draperies, she advanced blindly with her right arm outstretched before her. Slowly, softly, she crept forward, until her hand came in contact with an object upon a small round table. She did not know what it was, but in a low voice she pronounced the word, Ev. The rooms were quite empty of life after that. The Gnome King had gained a new ornament. For upon the edge of the table rested a pretty grasshopper that seemed to have been formed from a single emerald. It was all that remained of Ozma of Oz. In the throne room just beyond the palace the Gnome King suddenly looked up and smiled. Next, he said in his pleasant voice. Dorothy, the Scarecrow, and the Tin Woodman, who had been sitting in anxious silence, each gave a start of dismay and stared into one another's eyes. "'Has she failed?' asked Tick-Tock. "'So it seems,' answered the little monarch cheerfully. "'But that is no reason one of you should not succeed. "'The next may have twelve guesses instead of eleven, "'for there are now twelve persons transformed into ornaments. "'Well, well, which of you goes next?' "'I'll go,' said Dorothy. "'Not so,' replied the Tin Woodman. As commander of Osmond's army, it is my privilege to follow her and attempt her rescue. Away you go, then, said the Scarecrow, but be careful, old friend. I will, promised the Tin Woodman. And then he followed the Gnome King to the entrance to the palace, and the rock closed behind him. End of chapter 12